talking kind of at first service a little bit that what a great anthem that song is. And it's amazing how sometimes uh, we're, we're unable to see where God is working because we spend too much time in the light. But don't you notice when we're in darkness, suddenly we pay attention. Uh, when we are lost, that's when we, we look for a way forward. And uh, it's just a great song. Even when I don't see you, you're working. I think sometimes we forget. We forget that God is always working in good and bad, in the ups, the downs, and the downs. I want to start today by wishing everybody a very happy new year, happy uh, 2021. Um, I hope that this year is a wonderful and powerful year for you, for your family. Uh, There's so many exciting and fun things that are going to be happening this year at this church, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, in the coming weeks and maybe a little bit later in this, uh, in this sermon today. Uh, today's kind of a, an, interesting, an interesting milestone. Um, today marks the start of my seventh year at Journey, and I can't believe that it's been that long. As my staff often reminds me, they say, but why dwell on the mistake that we made so long ago, um, which I, I agree with. No, I'm just kidding. And that's good. Um, no, I appreciate it. I, there's no other place that I would rather be. Um, this is where I want to be. I mean, unless a, a better church calls, obviously. But uh, no, this is where I want to be. This is where, where our staff want to be. Uh, I hope for many more years here. This is where God has called me. This is where I believe that God is going to do things through me. And uh, I want to be a willing vessel in this place. And I hope that you as well. I know that you're here because you want to be. That you're a part of this church because you believe in what we're doing. And I don't know that all church leaders can say that, that the people that come to their church, the people that work and serve at their church, all of them want to be there. Uh, it's just great that you guys are participating and sharing with us in this place. You know, at the beginning of a year, uh, you always want to preach something that inspires people, gives people a sense of hope. Uh, today will not be the most theological sermon that I've preached all year, I assure you. But I thought what would be really good is to start with some practical things maybe that we can can adopt as we step into 2021. Uh, The first of which is this. It is 2021. It is not 2021. Okay, say it with me. 2021. If you say 2021, we will immediately revoke your membership. Okay, this is a 2021 church. Uh, We should have started this in 2010, but some of you missed the memo, so we're about a decade late. But it's 2021, okay? So you've got to start saying that, uh, because otherwise we will just punch you in the face wherever you stand. That's our new rule. I think we're going to do that. I don't know. We want to actually punch you. Maybe we'll we'll figure something out. But uh, but it's it's a new year, and maybe we need to even, even proclaim that year differently than we did in the past. But what I wanted to do today is I wanted to share seven goals or seven principles or seven values or whatever you want to call them. Just seven different things that hopefully will will set us on a path for 2021 that will orient us towards what this year can ultimately be. Sometimes it's good for us to just kind of kind of recheck ourselves and say, okay, where are we and what are we going to be focusing on this next year? I don't know. There's something magical about going to sleep and it's one, uh, you know, one year and you wake up and it's a new year and it just gives us a new sense of hope and a new sense of energy and saying, hey, we've got some new things ahead of us. We can leave some things behind and we can step into a new future. So let's get started. So the seven things. The first one is this. Stop making good choices. Okay. Stop making good choices. 
Several years ago, a guy named Jim Collins wrote a book called Moving from Good to Great. And what he argued in this book was he said that most people don't struggle between making good and bad choices. Most of us, most of the time, make good choices. We generally know where the bad choices are, and we try to stay away from those, even though we fall into them here and there. But most of us try to make good choices. But he argued and said, the problem is, is that we're not always willing to wait for the great choices. He said there's good choices, and then there are better choices. And we have to be people that are willing to be patient and wait for great choices. But sometimes we live into a world where we we say, well, this is good enough right now because we're impatient, because it's hard to step back from something and say, okay, let's, let's put it all on the table and let's assess what the best choice in this situation should be. This is what happens at the end of the story with Joshua. After he has led the people for the entirety of his life, they still are struggling to follow God. And in chapter 24, this is something we probably have printed in our house somewhere. Maybe it's on a, you know, on a coaster, on a cup, or on a, on a picture that's framed on the wall. He asks this question to all of Israel, and he says, look, you need to choose today who you're going to serve. But me, my house, my family, my, my tribe, we're going to serve the Lord. We're, we're going to make that great choice. We're not just going to say, yeah, I go to church, yeah, I believe. We're going to devote our lives to the great choice of faith that says we are going to serve the Lord. That was the choice that he was calling Israel to. He was telling them, you guys have made good choices for for most of the time that I've been here, but I want you to make great choices. And those words echo through the time of history to today to say, what choice are you going to make? Are you going to make a good choice or are you going to make a great choice? And maybe this is at work, maybe this is at home, in the variety of areas in our lives. Stop settling just for good and find the great, the powerful place. Number two, put your spouse second. Now you probably heard something else. Put your spouse second. Our lives are created for there to be a first place that someone should occupy. But the only person that should occupy a first place Not you, not your spouse, not your kids. That place is reserved for God alone. And if we occupy that first position with anything other than Him, our lives are set. In fact, when when Paul writes one one of the longest passages that he writes about husbands and wives, and it's one that we don't always preach about because it, it sometimes is a little difficult and it's got words like submit and obey and we don't like those words in our world. But in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, Paul, as he's about to write about husbands and wives, he says these words, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You start your day in whatever relationship you're in out of reverence for Christ first. If both of you are starting with God, it'll change the way that you're married. Then he does go on and he says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. 
This is not a passage of being demeaning to a wife and saying, well, you need to learn your place. What it's saying is you really need to be filled with God first to take up your role in the marriage. And then he talks to husbands. And by the way, he talks to husbands longer than he talks to wives. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. What Paul is saying is this, keep God first and make him your priority. If you want to have a successful marriage, it has less to do with opposites attract or liking the same things or having the same hobbies, and it has more to do with putting God in that first position and making him a priority. People often, I'm just not in love with this person, or we don't have anything in common. That's not what Paul is arguing. He's saying, when you get yourself aligned with God, it'll transform the way that we live in relationships with other people. You should put your spouse second and make sure that God is first in your life. And we all get this wrong, don't we? We all miss this. We all forget to keep God where he belongs. And we make stuff about us because we're human and we're broken and we're fallen and that's okay. Number three, in 2021, you need to be irresponsible with money. And you say, well, that's not good advice. We shouldn't do that. Although I did get my stimulus check, so I guess I can be. No, what I mean is this. We need to become people that practice generosity, not just at Christmas time, but throughout the year. Now, I find, just in my experience, that we will be irresponsible with money when it benefits us. Don't you find that? We can afford that car payment. We can put this on the credit card. We can cover it next month. Now that we've got this check, we, we, we can do this that we wanted to do. People will often be irresponsible with their money when it benefits them. Rarely do you hear people that say, you know, we want to give more than we did last year, so we're going to be irresponsible, and hopefully there will be enough left for us. We're going we're gonna to give to God first. It's very, very challenging. And yet Paul reminds the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but those who sow generously will reap generously. God will never trust us with more than we are generous with. If we want to hold everything to ourselves, then we look at God and he mirrors our behavior to us. And if we are generous and we live lives with open hands, God will be generous with us as well. That's what Paul is telling the people. And, and, and in Malachi, God kind of throws down a gauntlet through the prophet Malachi. And he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there will be food in the temple, food in the house of the Lord. Test me in this. Trust me in this. See if I don't open the floodgates of heaven and there'll be so much that you're not going to know what you you're not going to know what to do with it. Because if you live in a stingy way, it's showing that God's really not the priority of our lives. That we are the priority of our lives. This is why giving God your first and your best is so important. And that's not just about money. People always think this church is want to talk about money. It's about ourselves. There's a reason why we gather in the morning of the first day of the week. Because we give God the first part of our week. And every day when we wake up, we give God the first part of our prayers or our quiet time. We, we don't give God what's left at the end of the week. We give to him 
first because we know that he is faithful and we always try to give him our best because he is a God who always gave his best. So we follow his example. Number four, say yes less. About three or four months ago, we, we kind of went through this big, uh, um, we went through a retreat and kind of rebuilding and transformation, things that we're going to share with you, exciting things about the church this next year. And uh, leadership gave me a book, April Lemming on our leadership, she gave me a book called Essentialism, um, which is kind of a, a really poor tasted hint at uh, my life and how I'm living my life. And she said, you've got to say yes less, but you have to say yes to the right things. We have to practice essentialism in our lives. You know, there was a, another book written uh, many years ago that took the image of farming. And it said, you know, if you live on a farm, you wake up every day and, and there's things that you have to get done. You know, you've got to fix the fence and you've got to paint the barn and you've got a lot of things to do. And it said what you've really got to do in your life is you've got to kind of draw lines between what has to be done and what doesn't have to be done today. Okay, he said, now the thing that has to be done every day, if you've ever had dairy cows, you know you have to milk the cows every single day. And he says, you've got to look at your life and you've got to decide what milking the cows is and you've got to do those things every day. Meaning, you've got to show up for work, you've got to pay your bills, and you've got to, you know, you know, you got to be, be a good citizen. You've got to do these things. These are things you have to do. But then there's a pile over here that are the non-essential things. And instead of just throwing ourselves into busyness, we have to learn to be a little bit more particular about choosing what is essential. My dad retired uh, about 10 years ago, and he, he uh, told Haley and me something a long time ago, and it, for some reason it just stuck with us, because even after he retired, he said this, every day you wake up, you make a list, and you do the list. We, we need to live our lives on purpose and with purpose. But we've got to also decide the things that have to be done, the things that we need to say yes to, and stop saying yes to everything, which also means we need to say no more. We need to step into that and decide what we're actually committed to. Now, what about number five? You're going to love this. We need to eat more bread. Those of you that are on your broccoli and asparagus and Brussels sprout diet, we will bear with you for the next three weeks until you're done with it. Before you're so grouchy, <laughs> you don't know what to do with your life. We need to eat more bread. And what I mean by that is this. We need to participate in things like the Lord's Supper more often. You know, when you came in, you got one of these little uh, portable Jesus, as Jocelyn says it, which I thought was actually quite apt. We, we, are, we are well aware that these are not the best ingredient items here. But we need to be participating in things like this more often. You know, during COVID, we said no to this because we're trying to keep people safe. Part of it is we have to be reminded that this is a big deal. That when we share in the body and the blood of Christ, it reminds us who we are. And it's a covenantal moment that helps determine who we are becoming. This is why Paul writes in the book of Philippians, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And then somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. 
not that I've already attained it, but that God can become complete through me. When we share in communion, when we come to church together, what we are saying is these things matter. You know, there was an old, old way of thinking about it that when we took communion together, that the more that we ate the bread and drank the cup, the more that we became like Jesus, that we became little Jesus every time we took this, which is true. That's why we wear the name Christian, which just means little Christ. And it was meant to be a moment of reminder that says, as we share in this together, as we come together on this first Sunday, the first day of the week, the first one of the year, we should start there. We should start by participating in symbolism, in, in, in the practice of sacrifice, to be reminded this is what God's called us to. So Father, today, as we share in these simple symbols, may you just, just remind us, just remind us that you are the God that is with us, that walks with us. As we take this bread, as we share in this cup together, may we understand this covenantal moment between you and us as we start this new year. That you'll just remind us that you have already created a path through the giving of your son. As we share this bread and this cup, you help us to remember you in all this Father, we thank you for the body and the blood. 
we receive it today, as we take it into our lives, may we also be willing to pour it out into the lives of others. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Number six, we need to waste more time. I don't know about you, but uh, I find that our lives are very scheduled. Don't you find that? We're always running from one thing to the next. Uh, there's another book written a long time ago, and I'm quoting a lot of books today, called Wasting Time with God. And it talks about that we don't often take moments where we just kind of hang out with God. And especially, I'll tell you, as pastors, that's one of the hardest things to do. Because every time I'm reading or studying, I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it so that I can share a word with you. Sometimes I forget that I've got to do that for me as well. I've got to have that moment where I'm willing to, to receive from God what he has for me, that we, that we spend those times just hanging out together. I don't know about this as well, but, but even with your families, uh, sometimes we, you know, we see it as a waste of time if we're not doing anything. We've got to learn to waste time with God and with our family. Uh, if, if you're a parent and you have children, especially if you have younger children, do you find that you say this a lot? I know I do. In a minute. Maybe later. What we really are trying to do is we're trying to say, I don't actually want to do this. And so if I just, you know, throw it off a little bit, maybe you'll forget about it, or then we'll get to some chore. Oh, I'm sorry, it's bath time. We don't have enough time. You may, maybe, no. But we bought all these games at Christmas. <laughs> But we're never going to stop and just waste time with our kids. I think that there's moments where we should grab all the pillows and put them in the living room floor and have a movie night and do the things that we should do. And when people say, what did you, what did you do yesterday? You said, I really didn't do anything yesterday. But it has less to do with not doing anything and more to do with not doing anything with whom? Spending time with our kids. Look, I know that sometimes you don't want to do what your spouse does. You don't want to go to the store, but maybe sometimes we have to say yes to those things and spend time with them because those are the powerful moments in our lives. We've got to learn to, to not just be running from one thing to the next to the next, but have moments and pockets of time where we can be safe, where we can waste time together. Because that lets that person know, hey, you're important, you're valued. And I know that requires something from us. But you know, 2020 made us say no a lot. We have to learn to say yes to things again. But let's close it out with number seven. This is uh, one. We need to welcome pain and embrace change. Now, we all love change, don't we? And we all love pain. Man, this was terrible. I'm going through something really hard. It's the best day ever. We don't say that. But we should. You know, I found that people generally learn best through hard things. It's amazing how quickly we forget about God when life is going well. When everything's in your corner, it's easy to put God to the side. But when things start getting tough, suddenly we start praying more. Suddenly we start, suddenly we start engaging with God more. Suddenly we start reflecting on our lives. I find that we live in a world with incredible amounts of complaints, and excuses, don't you? People complain about everything. People have excuses for everything. 
and, and there's always something to blame. It's amazing how quickly we blame God for bad things, but we will never blame him for good things. I can't believe I got that promotion. Why would you do this to me, God? We don't say that. But when things are bad, we just turn on a dime. But it's in moments of hardship that we know who we truly are. You know, this la- the last four or five months as a staff, we, we really want to do some great things. And one of the things that we've all learned and reflected on, and if you watched last week, we did kind of a Zoom meeting as our sermon time. It's still online if you want to go see it. It really is great just as we share the journey of 2020 and all of our pastors weigh into that. But we realize that God is calling us to do some great things. But before we could do the great things, we had to kind of scrape away all the excess. We had to kind of clear the the piece of ground. We had to make sure the foundational footings were right and were ready. So that what we build, first of all, is not about us. But it's about Him. And secondly, that whatever we build will last. Because we've tested it to its core. You know, we're so quick to want to get away from bad things, and yet we refuse to learn what God wants to teach us in the midst of that. That's why James writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because the the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance needs to finish its work so that you can become mature and complete, not lacking in anything. When something difficult comes in front of you, don't complain about it or excuse it. Take hold of it with both hands. This last year, most of us have had a bad experience or two. Maybe we've lost someone along the way. Maybe we've, we've gone through a job loss. Maybe we've, something's changed in our family. Maybe we're, we've been rocked to our absolute core. That's a good thing. If life just always does this, we never learn anything. We don't learn to rely on God. God doesn't get to be the way maker or the light in the darkness. Or we say, even when I don't see it, I know you're working. And yet that is the calling of Scripture. We must not, we must not step away from pain and say, well, I just don't know. You know, you only know who you are when you're there. When life is good, I find the people completely lack faith. When life is bad, they suddenly start looking in the mirror and deciding who they are. And I think we have that moment, and we shouldn't squander it. I hope that 2021 will be a transformational year. Transformation is not a comfortable or easy thing to go through. In fact, transformation almost always hurts. Because it means we're being changed from one thing into something And yet when we read the pages of Scripture, we see that God is constantly working on transforming and changing and moving people. Look, I want to get out 2020 as much as you do. But I don't want to miss all the good that happened in the midst of it all. I don't want to just forget and say we're on to the next best thing. I think we have to be willing and open to what God is going to do in us. Some great things are happening at this church in 2020. Some big things. And they're not just fancier things or flashy things. They're transformational. And we want you to be a part of that. We're excited to share some of those things with you. 
But the only way that this works is if we all are willing to step closer to God and allow him to change us and form us. I hope that 2021 will be a great year for you. Like I said, I know this isn't the most theological sermon I've ever preached, but I'm hoping maybe there's just one or two things in the midst of that that you said, I'm going to take hold of that. And I'm going to allow that to be a guiding principle for my life for this next year. And I'm, I, I'm ready to see what God has done for me. Father, today, thank you for uh, joining us in this place. Thank you for just giving us a moment to be together, to have a time of worship. God, we pray for your favor this year. We pray for your blessing. We pray that you would open the floodgates in our lives. God, that you would not allow the enemy to win with fear or excuses or complaints. But God, that you would empower us to be the people that you're calling us to be. I thank you so much for this church, for every person that's here, for every person that's engaged in what we're doing. Father, I just ask that you would do mighty things through us, not because we are great, but because we are willing. Father, as we close this first Sunday of the year with worship, as we know that sometimes there are obstacles in front of us, may this be a moment where we decide that we are going to trust you no matter what. Whatever boundary is in front of us, whatever challenge, whatever difficulty, that we're going to take your hand first and allow you to lead. That no matter what we go through, it's going to be okay. Because Jesus has already overcome our worst fear. And you have brought resurrection out of that. May we follow you with energy, with faith, with hope. Pray this all through Jesus. Church together.